Welcome to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Kim is a psychotherapist and executive director of ICU Talks, a mental health speaking ministry. This is a podcast about how to flip your lid and learning how to reconnect to who you really are. All right, listeners, listen, like I, I took my Ritalin this morning. That's how excited I am to talk to Lori Murray. She and I go way back. Sadly, I have to say way back because we have known each other since college. I've known her family since college. She's associated with the Alex Murdoch trial. And more importantly, she's associated with my heart. And so she's an attorney in South Carolina. I love her. So Lori, welcome to Flip Your Lid. Thank you for having me. I am so happy to be here. So happy to reconnect with you and see you in person. I know we yes. touch on Facebook, but so happy to see you in person. Yeah, I appreciate that. We both have had a um, a wild journey since since college. Yes, college, yes. And I have. feel like people lost money on both of us because we actually turned out okay. <laughs> I think so. That's right. <laughs> right. We're not on trial, so we're no. we're doing pretty darn well. So, yeah, no. so we're going to talk about the Alex Murdoch trial. We're also just going to see where else this goes. We want to talk about the the legality behind it. The that South Carolina itself was on trial. We're going to talk about the psychology of it. We're going to talk about all the things and but I gotta ask her the first question. Y'all know. Y'all know if you listen to this podcast. You know, I gotta ask this question. It's my famous question, which is Lori, here's the deal. What flipped your lid and what measures have you had to take to reconnect to who you truly are? Well, um it's that's such a hard question, Kim. I know um, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> uh I think that, you know, it's funny. I think people would say that TikTok probably flipped my lid, but what right. flipped my lid was when my daughter left for college. Oh, that wow. was a life-changing, very emotional event for me. Um, it it threw me into the deepest, darkest depression that I've ever been in. Well, no, wow. I take that back. My dad's death was the yeah. deepest, darkest depression I've ever been in. But yeah. uh, when my daughter left for college, it was as if I was grieving my my loss all over again. I felt mm. that same grief as when my dad died. Yeah. So I was extremely close to her and my day to day activities revolved around her. She was probably my best friend at the time. And just, yeah. I wanted her to fly. Obviously every mom wants their child to fly, but whenever she left, it was extremely difficult for me. And I remember going to my therapist and saying, mm. I don't understand why I feel this way. I don't think everybody mm. else feels this right. way. I think that, um, I'm feeling this a little bit deeper than what I'm supposed to be feeling this. And um, we talked about it and the word empath came up right. and I was like, I can't be an empath. Have you seen my personality? I mean, I'm very, <laughs> no filter in your face. And I was right, like, right. That's why I love you. I'm an empath. And right. I, and he said, well, there's two halves to every hole and no matter how you slice mm. it. So it might be very thin, your, your empath, but there's two halves to every hole and it's what balances you out. So Mm -hmm. learning that and accepting that kind of helped me, put Mm -hmm. me on the right path. And then I started with this TikTok. I mean, I already had it at the time. I think I started right before she went to college. Hmm. But reconnecting with people and finding this this fabulous group of followers who actually were interested in hearing what I had to say. And they're, Uh they're friends. They're not followers. So I made, you know, now 480,000 friends that I didn't have before. So when I come home at night, instead of being alone, like I would be and thought I would be with her being gone, I have, I just, I can, all I have to do is open up my computer or my laptop or whatever and 
reconnect with these people on there who are super happy to hear from me, which is everything. Yeah. You know, you and I could do therapy on what you just said for like five sessions. Like it, even you're starting off and thank you for that. It's so powerful. And and you are a lawyer, Lori, on TikTok. And I know there's a lot of negativity about social media, but I love what you just said. It allowed you to get the validation that I, you have something to say. You are worthy that you are a mom and you're an attorney and you're somebody who is stands for social justice. Yes, absolutely. Right. So I know you might not say this. So I'm going to throw this out to everybody. You have, because of your platform, you have helped expose what's happening in the hospitals in South Carolina, people who are being mistreated, people who are, who are in very dirty, non-sanitary yeah. conditions. That was and, my biggest video, yep. Yeah, and that was huge. Uh, I've, I've watched you collect money so that people who are financially struggling can have Christmas last year. Like yeah. you, like you're not just doing it. And again, people say like you just want attention. Can I just tell y'all to stop saying that to people? Attention is an emotional need that God implanted inside of you from conception. We all need attention. It's just some of us need it in different ways. But you're using the attention you're receiving in such a powerful way. Well, thank you. It's um, it's a way you know you give back by doing this podcast or right. in, in many other ways, Kim. Yeah. I've seen all yeah. the ways that you give back, and well, it's so you. impressive and has mm -hmm. been a pleasure to sit back and watch mm -hmm. you. But um, when I was doing the TikTok, I thought, you know, people thought, oh, she's doing it for marketing or she's mm -hmm. you know, trying to build up her legal practice. And I caught a lot of grief from that. I didn't, I hid it from my, um, my fellow lawyers. I hid it right. from my friends until right. I couldn't. There was one video that went kind of a little bit viral. And from that point on, it was no longer a secret. I had to, I had to out it. Yeah. But to show that this was, it was, it was important for me to show that and to use this for something good and for, to show that this wasn't about money. I have a law practice. I'm not a TikTok lawyer. I'm right. a lawyer who's on TikTok. There you so go. The money that comes from it. And I do make some money. It's not a lot. People think mm -hmm. you make a ton of money off of doing it, but you don't. So mm -hmm. I took every bit of money I had saved. I never took the money out of the TikTok account. You get, you actually physically have to go in there and take it. So right. I left all of that in there. And then I decided, hey, this is, I told my followers, I'm like, this is what I'm going to do with the money yeah. that you made me. I'm going to adopt a family and I'm going to provide Christmas for them. Right. And so I did the, um, the families up and families. I asked for a family of four. They sent me two families of four mm. and an elderly person. Mm. Uh, I, asked, I think I asked for a family of four and an elderly person. They sent me two families of four. So now I have eight, nine people instead of five. And I, you know, my budget, because I don't make that much on TikTok and I didn't mind putting my own money in it, but right. I just said to my friends, you know, on TikTok, do you want to help? Wow. If you want to help, then here's my Venmo, just Venmo me. I promise you every dime of it will go to these mm -hmm. families. And I had so much money and so much shopping to do. And mm. I had people offering to help me shop. I had people offering to help me wrap. Wow. Um, we ended up with so much money that I pulled in another family a mom and a disabled son or special needs mm. child. And then I still had money left over that I was going to give in gift cards. And so I called the people at Families Helping Families and I said, I can't shop anymore. I, yeah. <laughs> I literally yeah. hate shopping. So <laughs> can you use this money to get another family? I know you still yeah. have people. It's short notice, but I have extra money. So right. we ended up providing Christmas probably to 
at least 13 or 14 people. That's beautiful. Thank you for using it for what you're doing. And and again, like this is your heart. This reminds me of your dad because, you know, um, you know, your dad used to take us when we were in college out to eat and pay for our right. food and all the things. Right. And so right. you and I are definitely daddy's girls. Right. So I'm going to use that. I'm going to segue okay. into the Murdoch trial because here's the thing. I'm from South Carolina yep. and my dad's a lawyer. And honestly, because he's an attorney, I'm probably not in prison. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't uh, like him. That's probably true. Yeah, it really is true. Like I, I, I had some, I had, some, you know, alcoholic, had some problems, had some legal difficulties and there's privilege. There's privilege that I received. So watching the Alec Murdoch trial, all being about Hampton County, all about, you know, solicitors, all that. First of all, I was a probation pro officer out, out of college. So mm-hmm. the whole Susan Smith double homicide thing, a part of that, like all this stuff. And then to see this, well, I don't know, 25 years later, whatever it is, the next double homicide right. that's in, you know, low, low country of South Carolina. And to know that you are a part of, you have an inside viewpoint. So just whatever you want, just jump in there and tell me what the hell, how did we get here? How did this happen? I really don't know. And, yeah. uh, you know, I was on, Ash is on court TV again last night. That's, I keep, it's like the case that won't go away. I mean, yeah. there's so, many, so much interest yeah. in it. I still see people posting new videos about it. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's been anything new, so I don't post anything new about it uh, mm-hmm. unless something comes up. Uh, the jurors doing an interview was very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. But I'm an offense attorney, and so people ask me questions. And my my biggest thing is that, People have prejudged Ellet Murdoch since the very beginning. Right. And I've I've said, I'm not Nancy Grace. Okay. Yeah. I'm not gonna come I'm on so there glad. and give you yeah. my opinion. Yeah. I've got these the podcasters, Mandy Matney and right. turned from journalism to something completely different. I'm not gonna tell you what I think. Right. I'm gonna let you listen to the evidence and then you mm. tell me what you think. Mm. And at the end of the trial, I'll tell you how I feel about it, but I haven't heard the evidence. And this is about justice. This is about somebody getting a fair trial. And we're in South Carolina. It's a small state. It's a small town. Mm -hmm. How do you get that fair trial when there's so much publicity around it? Look at OJ. Look at uh, Susan, uh, whatever. Susan Smith when that happened. Yeah. Susan Anthony. What is it? Anyway, from Florida. Oh, Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, and Scott Peterson, look at all of them. They don't get fair trials because mm-hmm. of the media that surrounds this case. So sure. I will never be the one to give you my opinion. You go ahead and I do love what that. you do. I so now that. that it's over, my I tell people, here's my opinion, you know, just of the trial, an analysis right. of the trial. Uh, was Alec Murdoch there? Absolutely. Yep. He was there. I think they. The he state, was there the night his wife and son got murdered. Yes, he Absolutely. was there on the scene. I mean, at least within minutes, if not there at the same time, I probably think that the state proved that uh, that he was there. Mm-hmm. But you know, the state chose to to try this case on a he is the person who killed his wife and, and child. Mm-hmm. And so to do that, you actually have to put a gun, a weapon in his hands, prove he fired it. Yeah. So there are other ways that they could have gotten this. They could have said, well, 
Maybe there were three people there. Either way, he's hand of one hand of all. That's a theory in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. If you're there when it happens, you're guilty of it too. Right. You could have, he, the state could have gone in and, and gone with that theory. And they probably would have won me over with that theory. That uh, I don't think that they proved beyond a reasonable doubt that Alec Murdoch is the one who shot and killed his wife and child. There's nobody right. um, testifying that says there were any problems between them. I don't buy the state's motive of financial issues. Mm. You, get, you might buy yourself three weeks of time and that's enough to kill your wife and child. I yeah. don't think that that's enough. I don't buy that any more than I buy that Alec Murdoch was scared of the police. And so that's why he lied. Right. But sure. you, know, you sure. do have this big lie that right. you have to explain. Right. And I just don't think he can do it. I think there's a part of this story that we will never know. Right. I think that Alec, you know, his brother even gave an interview and said he knows more than he's saying. And absolutely. Right. He knows more than he's saying. Right. But that's where we are here in South Carolina. We've got this huge murder mm-hmm. trial. We've got national spotlight on Walterboro, South right. Carolina, of right. all places. Yeah. Could have picked a nicer spot. I mean, not, not <laughs> Walterboro, but I mean, we have beautiful beaches. And oh, yeah. Charleston. Let's go to Charleston. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Gorgeous. Right. Um, but, you know, it just was, it's, it's been an interesting ride. I mean, I rode up there one night to do court mm. TV. At, I was there for the eight o'clock hour. And so at seven o'clock, they're all doing the news. So, so everybody was out there. I mean, mass media. Right. And then the 15 minutes gone, they're all just dispersed because their, their bits were over for the news. Uh, wow. um, so it's just, it was an interesting show to watch. Right. Um, but I never thought that little podunk South right. Carolina town would be this national spotlight OJ sure. type trial. Well, and you know, I heard that it was so chaotic. The only thing it needed was a Ferris wheel. It was insane. And I yeah. went down there one day. Right. And I, I went in the courtroom. Um, I have a friend. One of my friends represents Curtis Smith. So mm-hmm. she wasn't going to the trial that day. And I just walked in and said, I'm here on behalf of my friend who represents Curtis Smith. I'm here to sit in on the trial on her behalf. Yeah. And they were like, I'm sorry, who? <laughs> yeah. I basically had to lie, cheat, and steal my way in there. <laughs> I mean, I walked past. She looks at me. She goes, this is security at the front. She goes, you're going to need to go sit over there. I'll deal with you in just a minute. Mm. So I go and I sit over there. And at the same time, I had another friend lawyer who was in there come and speak to me. Joe McCullough, who was in the trial, yeah, time, right. came up and spoke to me. John Metters, who gave that um, that final closing argument, mm. the rebuttal close. He came up, gave me a hug. I think she saw all of that. Right. And said, Here's your pass. Yeah. And let me in based on that. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I went in there on a wing and a prayer. And um, but it was just like you when you walk in the courtroom, the tension in that courtroom was sure. so thick you could cut it with a knife. I mean, it yeah. was. Ridiculous. Wow. And then Alec Murdoch, and I've never met him. I, I right. dealt with people in his firm, but he stood up and on the break when we went to go to lunch, he's the tallest person in the room. He is a very mm. imposing figure. So there were a lot mm-hmm. of cool things to see about actually being in there and being oh, there. But people were coming from Florida, Hawaii, yeah. I mean, all these states right. just and sat outside at three o'clock in the morning to get in. I mean, crazy, right. crazy. Right. Well, let's talk about that. Like, what was the draw? Okay, and here's my because I, you know, obviously I have the psychological background. So I'm thinking it's because it's it's a family of of power. Mm-hmm. It's a Caucasian family. Correct. It's a family of generations of being solicitor of being people who seem like things were handed to them. Right? Not completely mm-hmm. true. I know they worked on some level for what they had, and then there were other issues. But is that the deal that you've got someone who we are? prescribed in America, you will have a good life socioeconomically sound if you are Caucasian, if you, right? Like there's this prescription being passed 
that this means everything's okay. And then to see that family who has everything that we think will make everything okay blow up. Is that part of the draw? Absolutely. I mean, I think people, it's not only part of the draw, it is, it is, what's the word I'm looking for? They, it was the, it was the feeding on that. It was, and it doesn't come from a good place. It was enjoying watching somebody fall from grace. Ah, fall from grace. Yeah. I think, I mean, this family, yes, they had all of the things that they ever could need. This, this hunting Mm -hmm. property, Moselle, what a yeah. beautiful property and coming right. from, like, you know, coming from a small town where yeah. there are a lot of hunters. And mm-hmm. I mean, I can imagine some of my friends growing up on a place like that. They had, right. they had dove hunting, they had deer hunting, they yeah. had the shed, they had right. an airplane. Yeah. They had a little I airplane, mean, a little strip, right. For the airplane to come in. Yep, yeah. For their drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a different story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think that the draw was definitely um, this fall from grace of this powerful family, but also I think it was, you have all of these people that he took advantage of mm-hmm. and well, two things. You have all these people he took advantage of all of these clients mm-hmm. who were in such a lesser financial socioeconomic position than him. Right. And he took his position and he took from them. He took yeah. from the poor and the needy and the hurt and the yeah. damage. Yeah. And he used that for himself to make him bigger. Yeah. So I think that that was part of it. And then I think that it's a lawyer fall. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lawyer fall from grace. And people people don't like us very much sometimes. Yeah. And this is my thing. Like whenever, especially when I have a patient that's an attorney and I will tell them from the get-go, oh, I love attorneys. And they're like, no one says that. I'm like, <laughs> no. but why? Like I, maybe it's, again, maybe because I'm an LK. Like I have grown up watching my dad represent people who then couldn't pay. So they came and cut our grass. Yeah. Right. Like that's and your I know your dad's very similar, was very similar. Like that's my understanding. The lawyers I knew, the police officers I knew growing up, right? Because I was growing raised in the legal community, were just good people. If there was some other stuff behind the scenes, I didn't know about it. They were just all good people. Yeah. You know, it's funny too, because I remember daddy talking about um getting eggs. He would be paid in eggs for his yeah. investments. And that reminded yeah. me of the juror that, you know. People mm-hmm. made fun of that juror for her saying, are you aware of what I'm talking about? The no, the, please the, tell. On the final day of this trial, um, one of the jurors had been having conversations with people. I think it was sled agents, but I'm not positive mm-hmm. about that. But she made some comments publicly about her feelings about this case and about his guilt. And they had to excuse her on the last uh, day. Yeah. And they, so they brought her out and they said, is there anything that you need from the jury room before we let you go? And she said, well, my purse is in there. And one of the jurors brought us eggs. So I'd like to get my eggs. So the, apparently one juror has a chicken and yeah. was, you yeah. know, brought everybody a dozen eggs. And she said, right. I want to get my eggs. And everybody was like, you know, are, are her eggs. And I'm like, y'all don't know what it's like. These are fresh farm eggs. Yeah. Oh, I would absolutely right. go back to those eggs. So, <laughs> yes. Right. You know, great. if somebody wanted yeah. to pay me an eggs, absolutely. Yeah. Right. I need eggs for the rest of my life. Sure. Right. Sure. And the, the price of eggs right now. Yes. I'm getting yeah. my eggs. Right. They're farm eggs too. There's right. a difference in the taste. You know it. So, oh, that's right. That's exactly um, right. <laughs> you know, I wanted to say one more thing too that I think that really is um, 
what what made this so attractive to other people was that there were five different deaths surrounding this family. That that's that right. not that's right. um, that should not be forgotten there. Mm-hmm. And I don't you know whether they had anything to do with the other ones or not. It, they're just all very suspicious deaths that happened yes. with this family. So, do, do that, you see a trial for Stephen Smith's death and for Gloria the housekeeper's death? Do you do you think there's a possibility of a trial happening for that? So when when Gloria Satterfield died, the only two people that were there were Paul and Maggie. Mm-hmm. And there were uh, testimony, not testimony, uh, statements in the Netflix um, mm-hmm. special from his girlfriend uh, that basically said he absolutely, Paul absolutely loved Gloria right. Satterfield. Gloria right. Satterfield was the mom he never had. Right. It destroyed him when she died. So I don't think, you know, we can talk about Paul being a bad mm. person all we want to, but I don't mm-hmm. think he had anything to do with her death. That leaves yeah. Maggie. Yeah. So if we believe yeah. Maggie, that's a good point. Good point. Stairs, yeah. Then maybe. But so even Gloria Satterfield's attorney does not believe that that was suspicious. So I don't think okay. we'll see anything come out of Gloria Satterfield's death. Okay. I am hoping and praying that we find some kind of closure for Stephen Smith's mom and yeah, for that case. Now, yeah. whether that means that it's the Murdoch family or or not, it might right. not be. That's again sure. this is another way where our justice system starts with a presumption of innocence. Yeah. And the yeah. first thing that, you know, when Ellick was getting in the van after he was convicted, somebody yelled at him, Buster's next. And mm. I, I, I'm very careful about saying like, there's sure. nothing that ties Buster to this scene right. other than rumors and people saying, I heard he was with him. I heard he did this. Right. I heard, heard, heard. Right. It's all hearsay, gossip, rumor, right. no physical evidence to tie him to it. Sure. They did reopen the case based on something that they found at Moselle. My understanding, I'm not absolutely sure about this, but my yeah. understanding of it was that the only physical piece of evidence found on Stephen Smith was a blue chip of paint. And they mm-hmm. found something on Moselle that could have matched that chip of paint. And so whether it did or not, I don't know, but that was my understanding at the time. That seems really flimsy, though. Isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. and this is part of it, especially maybe growing up in the South and, and being gay, even though it's very much, I was so gay. I didn't, I was so closeted. I didn't know I was closeted a lot of it. Yeah. Um, but it is true to be in the South and be in that small of a town and have yeah. Stephen Smith who had the courage to be openly gay. And all it takes, I mean, knowing how much homophobia, how rampant it is everywhere, particularly in a small town, very much can see that even if Buster and Stephen made eye contact, how people will respond to that. Like, the, the, it'd be so easy for the rumors to get started. It's just too easy because the homophobia is so prevalent. Absolutely. And, you know, this is the problem with our small towns, even. Like, mm-hmm. you, you can get to places like Columbia, and it's a right. little bit better. It's still yeah. there, but it's a little bit better. But in, in the small towns, you've got those old school, old families. Yeah. Don't change your ways like my mama. Yeah. <laughs> right. Know, right. Sure. Like she doesn't, you know, she's older and she doesn't yeah. get it. And she mm-hmm. doesn't, um, she's, I don't think she ever will. So right. these, you know, people grow up in those small towns like you and I, you went mm-hmm. back, but I, I got the hell out of there. Right. Yeah. I still love my small town. I still love the people from there, but that right. was not a place that I could grow up in or, or live my sure. life in, and raise my children in. Yeah. So the small mindedness of it was not something I wanted to be a part of, but sure. it's still there. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, the the views on homosexuality and um, all of the LGBTQ, good Lord, sure. if there was anything more than homosexuality, they'd probably flip their lid. A trans person walking around. Oh, right. Good yeah. Lord. I don't know. Yeah. But, I don't know what they do. And actually, I don't, 
there is one trans person from King Street, one, and yeah. he, she moved from um, from King Street and doesn't live there anymore. Yeah. Well, and you know, my wife and I intentionally moved to Davidson, North Carolina, because oh, and they were in oh yeah, okay. we live in Davidson now on purpose because yeah. this is a uh, intellectual, advanced, love everybody. Right. Like everywhere you go, you'll see Black Lives Matter. You'll see signs. You'll see, you know, people standing for Ukraine. Like, and so we moved here on purpose so that we would not get physically harmed or emotionally attacked. Which is so sad that you have to actually even contemplate that. Yeah. I don't have to worry about where I move. Sure. Um, Sure. Yeah. It's just, it's a sad situation. And it's getting worse. Oh, it is getting worse. worse. Like, my, my anger this week has been off the charts and it needs to be. Right. Like, I'm so angry that. All the cases right now being revealed of sexual abuse within the church have been covered up. Right. And so are we focusing on drag queens because we're trying to cover up what's actually happening in the church, right? Over 700 cases have been revealed recently of sexual abuse has been covered up. Is mm-hmm. that why all of a sudden we're banning books and talking about drag queens? I have no idea what these people think that would harm them. Why is it? I don't, I hope it doesn't pass Supreme court muster, but you know, we have a Supreme court that was put into place by one of the the top dogs of this new movement. Um, Our world is something that I don't recognize anymore where we are just filled with hate. And I, I, you know, there was one video that I did. um, I don't even remember what the initial video was, but um, I think it was talking about, um, the the policy down in Florida where it was the mm-hmm. don't don't ask what would they call it the don't talk law whatever the, what uh-huh. was the law called you know what I mean like do don't ask law? don't don't ask don't tell kind of mentality well it was something about the schools that they were not to discuss right. sexuality you know with right. kids that were of a certain age or something and I was you know I did a video about that and somebody said you know I have no problem with homosexuality just don't put it in my face just don't <laughs> Don't be doing it in public. Yeah. And so I remember doing the video back that said, oh, yeah, God forbid people are out there holding hands and loving each other. Yeah. I mean, and being kind to one another. Right, right, right. God forbid that happened because what if the heteros were to do that? Then we'd all be in a whole mess. Right. Because the heteros definitely are not getting there right now. So if everybody goes around like the LGBTQ community and showing their affection Mm -hmm. and showing their love, Mm. yeah, we'd really be in a hot mess then, wouldn't we? You know, kind of in jest. And some people took me seriously and were like, are you kidding? And I'm like, yes, I am. I am. Well, (laughs) and that, and that, when you did that, I reached out to you and just thanked you, right? Because, you know, the irony is that if a heterosexual person speaks out about it, someone is more likely to hear you than me. Right. Because yeah. I, for every yeah. reason. And so I, I appreciate you being able to do that. And again, even when you're talking about the murder trial, I hear your fairness in it. I hear your objectivity in it. Like you're, you're looking at it accurately, but you're also not that person that's going to get off on that. This is, this is the way it is. And I'm not refusal to look at it differently. And you do that in all aspects of your life. And I think that's amazing. Well, thank you. Uh, um, I just, I cannot begin to be the person to judge somebody. And, you know, somebody yeah. will say, well, what about the death penalty? Well, that's just state sanctioned murder. And yeah. do I want to be the one to pull the trigger? No, I'm no. not. Gonna, God judges. Yeah. That's, that's God's job. That's right. not my job. Now, if right. I need to take somebody out of society and put them in a way, in a, a cell somewhere, then I can do that. I can right. I feel comfortable doing that. Right. But I'm, it's not my job to take somebody's life. 
Um, no. That's why, you know, probably shouldn't say this on air, but I don't right. own a weapon. I've never fired one. Right. If, if somebody comes in and, and that's what they need and feel that they need to do, I don't know that I could take a life even in my mm. own defense. Yeah. I'm working on that, by the way. I'm working on The more followers right. I get, the more I'm working on that. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes so, sense. But yeah, yeah it's just, uh, I try to be objective. I try to be fair. Somebody asked me, um, well, in one of the podcasts I did about marketing, you know, uh, how do you, how do you, how do you get this many followers? How did you get to where you are? What the way that I did get here is because you hear my true voice. You're not going to yeah, hear, right. I'm not advertising. I'm not looking for clients on there. If right. they come to me, then great, but I'm not looking yeah. for clients on there. How did I market myself in, on TikTok? I don't market myself on TikTok. Right. That's right. You're That's just authentic. Why. You're just, just authentic. Right. That's just I the just way try. it is. Yeah. I try. Yeah. You know, I don't have a filter. So yeah. um, a lot of times I wish I did, but I did yeah. learn to stay away from politics because that is a very polarizing mm-hmm. subject. And mm-hmm. I try to stay away from that because people don't agree with me. And these days there is no in between. Yeah. You, know, you cannot, you cannot yeah. ride the fence. You cannot be a moderate. You cannot, you mm-hmm. are either for or against people. either party. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Either you're yeah. for people or you're against people. Right. True. It's so Absolutely. interesting. Yeah. 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 How do you how do you think from you being in the courtroom and seeing all this and talking about the jurors and go like what is the psychological effect on jurors who have had this much time consumption and even you like you have like like I know you're trying to get back in the office and get your life normal again this is very time consuming for yeah. everyone what happens to people psych- psychological well, I think that's a better question for you than Well, for you're me. right. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I can tell you that I watched this trial every single day. I mean, I had it on my computer. I've got a TV up there yeah. on the wall. I've got, I had it on my phone, wherever I was. You know, I remember walking into the courtroom and, and seeing, we were going into the federal courtroom. A state judge was standing in front of me and she said, I'm surprised that, you know, so many people are here and not home watching the trial. And I showed uh, her I had my air pods in my hand because even in the courtroom, <laughs> right. as soon as nine 30 starts, they're going in the air so I can watch until it's my turn. Right. Uh, so we, you know, we lived it, breathed it, mm-hmm. went along with this jury for six weeks. I watched sure. every minute of that trial and at the end of it is, is hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a letdown. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a relief, but it's also a letdown. And for the people who actually had to be there every day, the lawyers, let's talk about the lawyers. Yeah. Being in trial one day is exhausting. Mm. Being there mm. and having, your, you know, people don't realize that, I, you know, well, maybe they do. But when you're exercising, for instance, okay, your body gets tired. Right. But when you're working all day and you're mm-hmm. constantly having to be on your toes for the next objection, mm. for the next question, whatever yeah. it is, your brain gets tired. Right. So those lawyers had to be completely exhausted by the time each day was over and then just on the verge of collapse by the, by the end of it, it was an incredibly long trial, mm-hmm. the longest in South Carolina history, by the way. Oh, wow. wow. Um, so then you have 12 jurors or more than that. We, right. I think we ended up finally with one alternate. So it would have been 13 people who actually were there for the whole time. Mm. And those people were taken away from their jobs, yeah. right. from their families, from being able to contact, from being able to go on social media and do all right. the things that we normally do. So, the withdrawal from that during the trial, mm-hmm. and then with, then the letdown. Okay, hey, now I'm not, you know, out there anymore. Right. Um, and I did hear that Joe McCullough, the lady with the eggs, by the way. Yeah. Um, hired. I, I, this is the rumor I heard, but I heard she hired 
Joe McCullough to represent her because she was being harassed by the media. Wow. Because everybody wants to talk to them. And right. Yeah, it's it it took an emotional toll on everybody. And then, you know, think about even just the city of Walterboro. They were mm-hmm. the center of attention and then yeah. poof, everybody's yeah. gone. It's yeah. almost like a death. And you realize that sure. you know, when when daddy died, I remember that everybody was there. I mean, he was sick, mm-hmm. everybody was coming to visit. Mm-hmm. When he died, they swooped in and they took care of us during mm-hmm. that period from death to funeral. Mm-hmm. And then when the funeral was over, mm-hmm. everybody was gone. Yeah. And I remember thinking my world just collapsed and stopped. Mm-hmm. And I was left sitting there with my world's, you know, just in literally frozen. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, but the world is still going on. How yeah. are y'all still going on? Do y'all mm-hmm. not remember where we were yesterday? Mm-hmm. It's hard to, to move on from something like that. And that has mm-hmm. to, not on the same level, obviously, but there has to be a little bit of that going on with this trial. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And it is, there's there's grief. And there is, in, in our country anyway, when someone dies, you get two weeks to grieve and then move on, even though your mm-hmm. heart will never be the same, right? Right. And and so, but even these jurors and all this town and everybody, like the idea of like is, I'm hoping that therapists in the area are going to offer something to these people okay. because there's there's a post reaction that will now happen, right? Just just the idea of where they've been within their brain and the trauma that they know. But think have. about Judge Newman too, who did such a good job in this trial. But yeah. Think about Judge Newman who lost his son about two weeks before the trial started. Wow! Yeah, forty how, years old. How, how? he was. Um, 40 years old, and um, my understanding is it was, it was a pulmonary embolism. Oh, wow. That's so shocking. Yeah. It was shocking and sudden, and he has to pull himself together within a week and a half and go straight into a six-week trial. That's about death of a son, too. Yes. And so right? I think that when you listen to him in that that little bit he did during sentencing, you can hear that anger come out mm-hmm. because he lost his son. Here's mm-hmm. a man standing in front of him mm-hmm. who is alleged to have taken the life of his son. Right. Absolutely. So to not value your child's life and right. having Judge Newman had just lost his son. Right. Um, I'm sure there were some psychological issues at play yeah. there, too. Yeah, I think that's a, another excellent point. Just the like, I wonder, is this a story of addiction? I understand the power and the dignity and, you know, generation and generation of lawyers, but. But just knowing, and I don't know at what point Alec Murdoch's addiction started, I do know from my own personal experience, I did things I would have never done. I was so far removed from any level of rational being or hadn't been in my prefrontal cortex, my adult brain Mm -hmm. in so long. The things I did were very irrational. Was it to this level? Praise God, no. But is, is this, did we get here from a story of addiction and I know part of the story of addiction is his son, Paul, who I believe alcohol, it's, he was an alcoholic. It was his coping mechanism because there's a death of him having, you know, boating under influence, BUI, a death of Mallory. Right. And, you know, I don't ever want her forgotten about in this or her family. Correct. Her family. And, you know, um, so first of all, let me say that uh, Alec Murdoch said that he had knee surgery back when he was either in college or right after college. And that's when his addiction began. Oh, wow. I didn't know. Um, okay. Yeah. He got pain pills for that. I think that's mm. one of the things that he testified to. Mm. So he was on these opioids for a while. Now, was he taking $60,000 worth of opioids? Right. Um, 
You can't Not sustain really sure. that. You can't sustain that for too long. No. I don't know how. Yeah. And this would have been for years with the yeah. amount of money that was being um, swapping hands and the fact that nobody in his firm recognized it. Mm. Um, mm. And, you know, there was a, a female attorney here in town recently um, that I understood had a problem with alcohol, found out later that she had a problem with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I have seen this girl so many times in trial and so many times in the courtroom. I had no clue, yeah. none, totally yeah. functioning alcoholic. Yeah. And so I wonder if he was that high functioning on these pills that the, the people around him didn't notice. Sure. Um, there were obviously was, you know, evidence from his text messages that Maggie knew and that, that there definitely was mm-hmm. at least drugs present, whether he was taking them or not. Mm-hmm at least they were present. So again, I still go back to thinking that this is a money laundering, a drug Mm -hmm. dealing type Mm -hmm. situation versus Mm -hmm. a, and obviously a very bad drug dealer. He was terrible. Um, (laughs) Because he would have been making money instead of losing it. Right. But uh, I still go back to that. I I don't know how much the, I don't know how much addiction played a part in it. Mm -hmm. It obviously played some role in it, but um just a, a a dealing situation. Sure. A drug dealing. Yeah. And I'm sure there's some level of enabling because again, like his, you know, the Murdoch name is the name, part of the name of the law firm. This is generations of solicitors and that people don't say things. Cause one, we don't teach people to have a voice in general, but also don't know to say something about someone's addiction. Don't know. It's okay to like step in and check on somebody and do an intervention because there's probably fear that they would be fired, feared that they somehow would pay a price for trying to point out if they saw it. So he testified that he had been to rehab like three times. Wow. And that he had detoxed at home alone more times than that. Right. So I know that, I mean, if that's true, which we all know that you can't believe everything he said. Sure. But uh, if that's true, Maggie and, and Paul both knew mm-hmm. of his issues with drugs and mm-hmm. um, and tried to help. But yeah, yeah. The somebody else said that same thing to me about what you said with um, doing the things that you thought you would have never done that you yes. were completely irrational. Yeah, I don't buy that you can be that irrational that you kill your child. I, 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 there's see, there's got to be another diagnosis, right? Something right. else has to be there, right? How do you get right. that irrational? And so I don't, I don't know. Like I'm sure there's been a lot of conversation about psychopath versus sociopath, narcissism. I know has come up, like. But I don't even know from listening to him and all that if I can tell you exactly what I would diagnose him with. I know. Isn't it hard? Yeah. And, and most people I get within five minutes, I got you. I got it. Right. I'm I'm not sure what it is with him. So my theory of this case, and it's not a popular, well, I mean, in some circles it's popular, but I still believe that um, because everybody who testified in this case testified that he loved his wife. And they were, you know, even the groundskeeper that came to not CB Row that did the fields, but the one who came to water the dogs and changed and cleaned the right. town said that when he saw the two of them together, they were lovey-dovey. He and Maggie were lovey-dovey. Yeah. And everybody said that Paul was the apple of his eye, that he just loved Paul. Um, mm-hmm. So I still believe that this goes back to his drug dealing. I think mm-hmm. that you know, he was dealing with the cowboy gang and Walter Burra. Mm-hmm. Um I believe that he ended up owing somebody money. I believe that he was probably in his house doing exactly what he said he was and then goes down to the kennels um, because he yeah. maybe gets a call. 
right. need to meet it down at the kennels. So he goes down to the kennels or something. I still have this, you know, watched a lot of TV. I watched yeah. that um, the show with Jason Bateman on, um, I've gotten blanking on the name like of the it. Like the Ozark thing? Ozark, thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, they were like, you know, and I was on Court TV last night and I was putting this theory out there again. And Eric Bland, who is part of that podcast that is very pro prosecution, said, mm. do you really think that, the, you know, the cartel is going to not bring their own guns? I'm like, I mean, look, they didn't bring their own guns here. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Good for I mean, you. Can you Good tell me that you. they absolutely bring their guns every time? Right. Uh, what I can tell you as a criminal defense attorney, and Eric Bland is not, by the way, a criminal right. defense attorney. Yes. Um, yeah. So every time I have done a criminal federal case where there's these huge conspiracy cases, they trace it up the ladder. If you ever watch The Wire, it's the greatest show to tell you how these conspiracy mm. cases work because right. they take the person on the very bottom, the street dealer, and they wiretap his phone and they get to the next person he's buying from. And then they tap that guy and they go up the chain. Right. You're going to find a Hispanic cartel connection every time because we don't produce cocaine in this country. Right. We don't do it. So right. it's coming in from outside of the country. Right. And I think he had something to do with that, which is why he had the landing mm-hmm. strip at his house. There are so many, there's so much evidence. The person that he got Moselle from for right. $15, $15, that's 1700 acres of land for $15. And that mm-hmm. guy was a known drug smuggler. Right. So all of this, I believe, came back to selling and that mentality yeah. and the criminal mentality of selling drugs. And then when you talk about diagnosing them with sociopath versus psychopath, mm-hmm. you have to look at the fact that he probably knew what was happening or, or at least could recover pretty damn quick to mm-hmm. get and do the things that he did afterwards. So you have to look at whether, not not whether he pulled the trigger, but how he reacted to the trigger being pulled. There you and go. That's where you can get there your you diagnosis go. for him. Yeah, that's so, so, so smart. Yeah, and I hear that. And just just for people to know, like as, as someone who is a, a psychopath, that there's a belief that there's a different brain functionality. They do not feel empathy. They care if they get hurt. They don't care if someone else gets hurt. They don't really under- believe in right and wrong. And a sociopath had some understanding of right and wrong. Their definition is different than ours. So most people have kind of combined those, but they are kind of, they are more separate now that there's been a clearer diagnosis. And so there is something that looks like that Alec Murdoch had some type of remorse for this, but it's hard to tell. Is he remorseful because he got caught versus is he remorseful because there's a loss of his children, particularly based on listening to the phone calls when he's in, in jail. Which people now are saying are coded and we're telling Buster to go and find the money, you know, he kept telling him to go hunting down by the feeders or something. Uh-huh. And so everybody thinks that that's where the guns are the motor. And now Buster's complicit. The conspiracy theories are on wild. It just yeah. makes me crazy, the conspiracy yeah. theories. But um, I agree with you. But yeah. I also, I personally, and I'm not, not in any way, shape, or form in your profession. Sure. But I think there is a level of sociopath combined with narcissism that yes. led to this. That family yes. name and the... Um, the importance of his family name that he has mm-hmm. been that has been ingrained into him for all of his life. Yes. Um, yes. I, you're a Murdoch. You actually yeah. have to behave. Mm-hmm. You are, in, you know, you're an icon in this town, mm-hmm. and so that self importance, mm-hmm. you know, narcissism along mm-hmm. with the sociopath mm-hmm. combined for this, per, you know, the perfect storm that Craig yeah. Waters talked about. 
I, I I agree with that, and I think that 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 is the narcissism with the sociopath um, onset of that, like the grandiosity of the last yes. name, of walking around that town, do whatever you want to do. You know, watching how Paul reacted after the boating accident. Now, granted, I understand that I am limited in what I see. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was probation officer, I was a part of one case in particular that made the news, and what the news said, and what I knew what was really going on behind the scenes because I was there. Two different things. So I understand things get reported the way they get reported. So, but there is something particularly, especially with watching Paul when he was intoxicated and how different he was. And like they called him Timmy. Yeah. Because it was a totally different personality. Totally different personality. And watching his hands movements were different. Like all that is part. I do think that's part of the fascination, you know, that people had with this. But there's to not step away from the tragedy of this, of how many people. Are not here, and and I can't imagine being Buster. I know, Liz, and your whole family. Your whole if you family. You don't have empathy for that kid. Yeah. Uh, and some yeah. people, most most people that I've seen don't have empathy for him. What they right. have is, oh, he's part of it. Yeah. He, well, know, where was he? Where what was his right. alibi? I'm like, well, yeah, I, he has a solid alibi. He didn't right. have anything to do with it. Right. Well, and I think people need to think about. It. We're so upset that Alec Murdoch didn't have any empathy. Right. We're so upset right. with him and yet we're not having empathy towards other people in this. And I mean, Buster, like my understanding is that Buster can't go anywhere and can't do anything without being at, at a minimum verbally attacked at this point. Absolutely. And, you know, what's again, here's the level of my empathy. I was when they and I posted the picture of him and with his mugshot. I did a video with his mugshot at yeah. SCBC. Um, And all I can think about was how hard this must be from this man. <clears throat> to go from being in a courtroom in a nice suit mm. to mm. defending your life and, and asking, you know, 12 jurors to, to find you not guilty going from mm-hmm. that in 24 hours to having a shaved head, completely demoralized, mm. wearing a jumpsuit mm-hmm. in a prison system where you have to actually, you know, listen to every word that everybody else says and get acclimated to prison right. and also completely being isolated for 23 hours a day. Yeah. That is a hard. Yeah, it is. Sorry, I do have empathy for that. Yeah, sure. I do. I sure. mean, but the the grandiose thing and the the thing about that family name, one of the things I want to point out too is that Mallory Beach's mom in this boating mm-hmm. accident. Mm-hmm. Mallory Beach's mom stated in that Netflix special that she was standing down there at at the scene of the boating accident. There was yellow tape everywhere. You couldn't get through. Couldn't get through. They wouldn't let her through. Right. She said, "I just wanted to see it. I wanted to see yeah. where my baby went missing." Oof. And they wouldn't let her through. And then she said, "And I was standing there, and I watched Elliot Murdoch pull up with Maggie in the car, and they just rode right through that yellow tape." Yeah, that's exactly right. Like, that grandiosity there yeah. in itself, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. A it's perfect just, example of it. Yeah. And nobody just, called this mom and told her. Nobody from law enforcement called her and told her her yeah, child was missing. That's right. Well, let's let's talk about law enforcement real quick. I know we're, we're okay. coming a little bit closer in, but but knowing, my understanding is SLED did a lot to get this to go in a different direction. Uh, I've heard, you know, videos. And again, I understand as being a, a kid that's, you know, in South yeah. Carolina, that's well, a lawyer that there is a good old boy system there there's evidence of them saying do you know who this family is when they're on the scene yeah right and there's guns being left in the house like all this stuff so can you speak into that 
Uh, it's hard for me because I still have to deal with sleds. Okay, well, uh, but no, I don't mind. Listen, yeah, you know, right. I've, I've already spoken on it. I, I think that sled made some major mistakes in this case. I think that mm-hmm. they have to actually really be looked at, and they need to be investigated. Yeah. Um, and I know Judge Newman said into Milan law enforcement in his, you know, sentencing. Yeah. yeah. I love Judge Newman. You know, he's from King Street, my hometown. I did not so, know that. Yeah, he's no from wonder King- we love him. Um, he got yeah. the Lifetime Achievement Award in King Street night before oh, last. So that's amazing. Um, it was, but yeah. and he's he's very good. But you know, Sled did not do a good job in this case. They they, right. they had John Marvin walking around when they searched the house. They didn't empty the house to do the search. They did interrogations in the vehicle. They mm-hmm. left brain matter and bone fragments wow. and buckshot all in the um, in the feed room. They um, they had Agent Owens on the stand, and Agent Owens on the stand admitted to not only lying to Alec about the things that he had found and the evidence against him, but he used that same evidence when he testified in front of the grand jury. So he lied to the grand jury. Wow. Um, that man will never testify again. Yeah. It's just, yeah. So yeah, there's some harsh realities that need to sure. be faced at SLED right now. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, you being an attorney in South Carolina, knowing that people were talking about South Carolina judicial system as a whole was also on trial. Yeah. Like, did it feel, does it feel that way to you? Did it feel like, that there's a microscope on all of y'all. Um, you would be amazed at the number of clients, not mine. I've just heard stories from friends, but clients, personal injury clients who've crawled out of the woodwork and asked to see their paperwork again. And then I have hmm. a, a good friend of mine who's on the ethics. He's a professor of ethics at the university. And he was talking about amending the rules so that defense attorneys or adjusters would have to send a copy of the check to the client when we settled their case so that they wow. would know this, the check has been sent right? and they want to amend the rules. And I said, let me ask you, Michael, how much, how many attorneys steal money from mm-hmm. their, from mm-hmm. their clients? What's the percentage? And he said, right. it was less than 1%. Yeah. And I was like, so we're going to amend the rule just because this high profile case of Alec Murdoch being a complete jackass and doing right. all of the things that he has done to his right. clients. We're going to amend the rule that I have to now let, mm. uh, an attorney have a a conversation with my client who is represented. They're not supposed to have conversations with my client. That's a rule. Right. Yeah. So we're going to bend that rule just because Ellen Murdoch came in. So yeah, yeah. we felt the heat. We've absolutely yeah. Sure. Nice. Sure. Well, I just want you to know, I have incredible respect for you particularly, but for attorneys and people who are trying to do the best that they can. And just knowing that this has, this has done something to so many people psychologically. And also just, I know a lot of us follow stuff like this. Like I watch Law and Order Special Victims Unit and Criminal Minds over and over and over again because I want to feel safe. Right? Because <laughs> they catch the bad guy. The yes, end. the perp gets <laughs> jail time. I want to feel safe. Yeah. And I think there's a little element of that that's for people part of the obsession with it. And so what is your plan to take care of yourself because you've given so much to this and so much to people. How do you now that the trial's over and this may be, you might have saved the, the best podcast for last. This might be your last one about, about the Murdoch. Right. But like, how do you take um, care of yourself? Right. How do you take care of yourself now? Uh, well, you know, I have some great moderators on my TikTok account who gave mm. me a spa day, not a spa. Oh, nice. Spa. They treated nice. me to spot it. They knew I was burning at both ends. Yeah. So um, I literally was in tears. I mean, it was such a oh. nice gift. They do so much for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even just being, these are regular people who give their time to come into my lives and moderate the lives. Sure. And and they're giving me gifts. I should be paying them. Yeah. Um, so that, and 
I just plan to throw myself back into my life slowly. I plan right. to sleep um, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, sleep. Sleep's good. Yeah, Sleep's good. I've yeah. been getting about four or five hours a night. Unfortunately, right. I'm still on the Murdoch schedule, so I go to bed about one and get up about seven. <laughs> um, but I think mainly what I'm going to do is move on to the next trial. Yeah, yeah. Just, just throw myself back into another one. It won't yeah. be anything like this. It'll never right. live up to what we've been through in the past couple of weeks. Sure. Um, but I enjoyed it so much. And, you know, I just want to tell that I, when I close out my lives on TikTok, I always say, I always have, I end with a thank you, not just a, I'm out. Right. I say, you know, I'll, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Thank you guys for, for being here and for listening to me and for caring mm. what I have to say mm. and for letting me do something that I love. Because oh, it's good. absolutely something that I love. And I loved yeah. every minute of that trial, as hard as it was to go through, as exhausting mm. as it was. Um, it was, I love the law. I love justice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like fairness. I want to make yeah. sure that everything is fair. Right. And and if I can help people not jump to the conclusion, mm-hmm. and that platform mm-hmm. is what you know allows me to do that, then right. you know it just was something I love. So yeah. I'm going to jump right back into the next one. Yep. Well, that does not surprise me. I know you and you're definitely your daddy's daughter and I love you for that. And I love that I get to see him in you. Right. So thank you for being part of this. And as you in your TikToks, I just want to say to you, thank you. Like, I love your passion for law. You know, like I wanted to go to law school as well. We want to talk about what happened with that. But (laughs) uh, I still love law. I love you. I love what you stand for. And thank you for being a part of this today. I appreciate you so much, Kim. And I believe that people end up in the field that, you know, somebody says, why mm. did you, why did you become a lawyer? And I said, why well, didn't, you know, choose to become a lawyer. Right. The law chose me yeah. and your profession and the place that you are has chosen you. And that's why yeah. you're successful. And mm. that's why you have made a difference in so many people's lives. So as much as you say, you love me, I love you right back. And I'm just so proud of where you are and how far you've come and the obstacles that it took to get you there. Well, thank you. You speak so well, and I'm ready for you to move to Davis in North Carolina in my neighborhood so we can spend every day together. And love that. We can do TikToks yeah. together all day long, and it would be amazing. I'm afraid my children have a problem with me. Damn it. Those kids. They've always interfered with us. So. <laughs> I know. So if y'all <laughs> want to keep up with her, please go to Lawyer Lori um, on the land of TikTok, tic-tac-toe, whatever it's called. I never can figure that thing out. But check her out there. Thank you, Lori. And to all the listeners, I know you heard a lot of things today that flipped your lid, but also believe you heard something that helped you reconnect to who you really are. We'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Please subscribe, rate, and share. You can find Kim on Facebook or Instagram at KB Honeycutt. To get an autographed copy of Kim's book, visit butyourmotherlovesyou.com. Remember, no matter what, treat yourself well today. <laughs>